Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend and co-host, Adam. Hey man, how's it going? It's good. We are in a new series. Not new to us, but new in terms of it's not Chernobyl, and we are happy again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Although there are a few similarities we will discuss between this and Chernobyl. Absolutely. This is um, this is really interesting because at the point when this episode is going to release, we will have taken the summer off. And as you all know, we load these episodes up in terms of recording so we can get good edits and good content out to you so we're not just plowing through and just getting content out there. Hopefully, as a listener, you're appreciating this and so you're forgiving of the few months that we take because I think summer is going to be challenging. It's always challenging when you have families and you have other things that are not school. I know that there's a lot of personal stuff going on for you. You're busy and getting going to get busy during the summer. And it's weird that I'm talking about the summer that hasn't happened yet when you're listening to it after the summer. So there's some kind of time fluctuation that Doc Brown can figure out. In any case, (laughs) we are in Stranger Things 3, starting out with episode one entitled Susie, Do You Copy? And like the first two entries into the Stranger Things universe, I was absolutely jacked to get back into it. I always look forward to coming back to a series like this because as I'm not watching it in real time as it's released for the first time, I'm getting a little bit of what you probably experienced because the seasons of Stranger Things were released, I think, about a year and a half, maybe two years apart. I don't know specifically uh, what the timeframes were, but I'm getting that sort of anticipatory feeling knowing that we're coming back to it. And this first episode, it hits some good notes. I will say for the most part, it's a great episode. There's nothing that I'm like, oh, it was just crap. Let's not even talk about it. There's a lot of things going on. Episode one hits with a bang and we'll get into the details here in a few minutes. But overall for me, I really enjoyed this. I think it definitely slides us back into the world it kind of hits the same notes that the season premiere of season two did, you know, giving us new characters, what's everybody up to. And that's completely appropriate. Little, little strange that it's not taking place in a cooler month as the first two seasons did. So (laughs) my question is, how are they going to get to Christmas by the end of the season? That's the big (laughs) probing question that I'm asking right now. Well, I think, and if I recall correctly, I think the marketing campaign for, for this season was, one summer can change everything. So it was all about how like your summer vacation when you're a teenager can be such a life-changing period in your life. You know, whether you meet someone, have a have a relationship when you go to camp or whatever it might be, you know, something happens and it changes your whole outlook on life and come back to school in the fall and tell all your friends what happened over the summer break. So that was kind of, I think, the big shift for this season is they shifted away from the school year into the summer. I think it's like midsummer. It's like July, like the end of June, close to July 4th, something like that. And it actually originally released on the 4th of July in 2019. That's when oh, that's the entire season. Yeah, cool. yeah so it was a, it yeah. was a fun holiday weekend for people 
who were Stranger Things fans back on July 4th, 2019. Or holiday. Yeah, yeah, holiday. If most people probably did <laughs> plow through it. No fireworks for them. They were no. they were all in. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, this was a lot of fun. And I, I agree. I think it's it's a tad repetitive and a little bit slow in the sense that we're just sort of seeing where everyone is after almost in real years, two years. These actors have gotten two years older. We're kind of jumping into relationships for the first time. And so a lot of time, I think, is spent on that aspect and relationships not amongst the friends, but in terms of boy-girl relationships. Yes. That's really, yeah. the thing, I think, the central theme of this first episode. Yeah, it's great. There's so much to talk about, so let's just go ahead and, and start sure. at the beginning with our cold open. It's July of 1984. It's been in a time period since I've seen the events of Stranger Things 2. Is it close to the events of last season? So the, the opening scene... Is this right. taking place at the same time as the events of Stranger Things 2? Am I reading that correctly? It's, so it's supposed to be just before the events of Season 2, but after the events of Season 1. So right. somewhere in between there, this occurred, the scene, which we find out is in the Soviet Union. Yes. And what a great way to kind of do that, because it's not immediately clear as right. to what where we are. We think we're in Hawkins lab. At least that's the intent is that, oh, is this a different lab? Is this Hawkins like 2.0? What's happening here? It looks very similar in terms of like the elevated viewing gallery where you look down on the kind of the lab, I guess, or the yeah. experimentational area. I think all intentional to kind of yes. trick us as the viewer or to make us question if this is indeed Hawkins or something yeah. else. Yeah. This is a really great, I think, storytelling technique where the storytellers, the writers, the cinematographers all working together create a scene that is familiar to an audience, but then sort of turns it on its head. Aaron and I on the Feel and Film podcast, we covered Strange Worlds. Strange World, not Strange Worlds. That's right. No, is it? Yeah. It was one, yeah, it was one strange it was world. One, it I was believe. one world. Yeah. It was, yeah, well, yeah. But one of the things that we observed is that there's a twist as to this world that's being explored. And the way that it works, the reason it works so well is because it creates a level of familiarity. Like we recognize certain things our first time through. And then when we make the connection of what those things actually are in relation to what this world is, watching it a second time, we now have a second layer of. Like, oh, yeah, I can see how that could be this. Right. And even the characters themselves, we assume that they're on planet Earth because they look human and they're speaking English. So it plays into this idea of how we sort of understand our world. And this scene, for that purpose, because we're so familiar with Hawkins Lab, we just assume that it's either another lab somewhere in the U.S., Specifically, it could be in Hawkins, Indiana. So if if you're an idiot like me, you're thinking, oh, I don't know when this is taking place. Maybe this is before everything. But as my smart co-host confirms, this takes place parallel to the events of Stranger Things 2. And that's when we get the reveal that, oh, this is a Russian lab, complete with a Dean Norris lookalike, by the way. And the double keys that kind of remind me of War Games, I thought that was fantastic. This is the Duffer Brothers just doing the 80s, you know, really going back to tributes and 
they have just kind of doubled down on all this stuff, which I think is fantastic to make a point to be entertaining, but not so much that it's like, okay, stop with the eighties. We know we're in the eighties. I never felt like that and still don't, despite some of the other observations that I will bring up. I never feel like the Duffer brothers are overindulging in the era that they are are playing with. Especially because I think the core audience for the show is quite a spectrum of young people all the way up to individuals our age or even older who grew up in the 80s. So for us, there's a lot of little nods to film and television, pop culture that we may remember. But then for younger people, someone who might be 14 or 15 right now, they may not catch any of those, but they don't need to know those references to completely enjoy the story and the drama and the the humor, all of it. It's all there for everybody to to enjoy. There's just like that extra little little layer, kind of yeah. like with a lot of uh, animated kids movies. There's the the better ones are enjoyable for parents on a whole nother level than they are right. for the kids. Well, and that's something else we talked about on that particular episode that shows like Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures. I remember being the first real cartoon series that catered to both kids and adults where kids could watch it and get the surface level jokes and the fun and the antics. Parents could get the underlying jokes that were being told, which is different from The Simpsons, which is an adult cartoon. It's an it's a cartoon right. that's geared towards younger adults and adults because it's got adult humor and things like that. You'll get the antics, but not it's not geared towards children. Like No. And yeah. kids, at least today, don't watch The Simpsons. It's mostly older <laughs> individuals who grew up with it, even though it's still on the air. Like my daughter has no interest in it. I've tried to watch it with her. I just doesn't it doesn't click with her. She doesn't get it. But I think it's hilarious. So <laughs> <You know. laughs> right. anyway, that's that's exactly my point though, is that there is a lot of nods and in jokes and all of that, like in this scene where the big Russian dude chokes the head scientist. I mean, that's mm-hmm. clearly a sort of a Darth Vader esque yep. Empire Strikes Back <laughs> reference. <laughs> Even down to the point where he tells the next scientist in line, you know, that now you're basically you're in charge now. You have one year exactly. to figure this out. <laughs> that's Empire Strikes Back. You know, he's Vader mm-hmm. continuously just kills whoever's in charge and promotes the next guy up to uh, yeah. to command. Yeah, he says you have one year, which bumps yeah. us to the next year. Where, where we are in present yeah. day, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and then them. we get... Not go, for us. Yeah, not <laughs> definitely not for us. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just throw some love at the special effects. Uh, season yeah. three has gotten even better. What a great sequence with the the turbine and all the stuff that was happening, disintegrating these... I mean, it really was like something out of Star Wars where you had, you know, guys being disintegrated. You know, it was kind of like almost um, it It reminded me of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when a little bit, they yeah. opened the Ark. Nobody got his face melted, but you saw some of those soldiers who get like electrified from the from the Ark and stuff like that. I felt like that was kind of being thrown in for good measure. So really great job on the special effects. And I think that's probably just an indicator of what we're going to get in this particular uh, season. Yeah, this whole scene kind of reminded me of um, in the first season when Mr. Clark says to the kids, he's talking about the possibility of going to other dimensions or opening a gate. And he says how you need more energy than we can create. And this clearly, the Soviets have figured out a way, or they're close to it, to shooting a beam of energy at a, 
at a stone wall enough energy, powerful enough that it can almost open a gate to whatever this other place is. And I kind of like this idea too that, you know, this was clearly the mid 80s. So we were in the middle of the Cold War. We had just had the space race with the Soviets. We had this competition. And I kind of like the idea that the Soviets were also racing against us to be the first or perhaps the second, I don't know, to get to this upside down, that there was Mm -hmm. an upside down race going on in the secret governments of our world. I just I like the fact that they even know about it, you know, or that they have the same type of scientist, that they essentially have their own Dr. Brenner trying to figure out a way to get to another dimension, you know, that there's this parallel path taking place. Like I said, just as we did with atomic energy and with the space race, mm-hmm. all of it. And also it's interesting yeah. because we just covered Chernobyl that this is about a year before <laughs> the events of Chernobyl. So it's yeah. uh, it's all coming together. Yeah. So two observations. One, I believe that any tubes or things that they're using have metal tips on them. I don't think they've <laughs> discovered plastic tips uh, because they're probably more expensive. <laughs> Right. And to that was probably a trashy way to kind of get from like sad Russia conversation to happy Russian conversation. So I'm, I'm definitely, if no other reason, this episode has going for it our ability to talk about the Russians without feeling sad. So, right. Except for that poor scientist who got choked. Sure. But. Sure. But, you know, you had to have your Star Wars reference somewhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. See, that's why they don't succeed, though, because they just keep killing their top scientists. That's true. <laughs> that's so true. One thing I want to I ask, maybe you know this before we get to the first main scene after the credits. So we get the title. Uh, Susie, do you mm-hmm. copy? And of course, we find out what that is. I noticed that Susie, do you copy? The title has a question mark at the end. And that makes sense because duh, it's a question. But I know that historically in Hollywood, movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit notoriously do not have question marks on the titles because of a superstition about bad luck. And I don't know if you knew about that or if that's something that I'm bringing to the table that's impressing you. I hope so. But if not, that's cool too. And I'm wondering if you do know about that, is there some difference with TV shows that, you know, they can get away with that? I don't know if you've thought about uh, yeah, that. Yeah. I just all. think, I just think an episode title is less, uh, well known. Risky, risky, risky. It's not going to be as, I mean, Think about it. Most people, when they talk about a TV series, don't know episodes by title name, unless it's like a really iconic series like Star Trek or The Twilight Zone or something. So I think people just kind of, especially a, a binge-worthy show like this, they just kind of sure. plow through without even asking a question about the titles. But I, I think because it's a question in the sense that it's it's a reference to Dustin using a radio to try to contact his girlfriend in Utah, I think because it's a question, it makes sense for this title. Well, it's irrelevant to the rest of the conversation. I just thought I'd throw it out there. So. Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. I didn't even think I've heard of that, what you mentioned, but I didn't even think about it with this episode title until you brought it up. So food for thought. And then we get the regular familiar credits with the graininess and the great font all red and then the bleed into the first scene, which is Elle's bedroom. We got Corey Hart singing in the background. Love this song. First time I actually heard this 
was in a documentary called Man vs. Snake about this guy who set the Nibbler world record only to have it broken. And the documentary is about him like 20 years, 25 years later, trying to break it again. And mm. this song is used at the, like the climax of the, of the documentary. It's pretty fantastic, but I love Corey Hart. He's used yeah. in a, in season <laughs> one and now he's back. We have what I would call typical teenage stuff going on. L and Mike are mugging down. It's so awkward as it should be. I'm not going to give the details of my intimate like high school and junior high relationships but kissing was not romantically looking this is not melrose place or 90210 these are kids trying to figure out what kissing is and it looks so just ridiculous it makes sense and for it Mike probably was very awkward for the actors they're young and being told to do this in front of a crew <laughs> so i'm sure that added to the awkwardness of the whole scene and it's meant to feel that way yeah. right because we're seeing them and we're kind of spying in a way on their their kissing. But we're also meant to relate with Hopper, who's sitting outside of their bedroom. This is in his cabin, you know, in the woods. And he's like in his recliner chair watching, I think it was Magnum, Magnum P.I. P- or something. Magnum P.I., yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just love how he knows what's going on in there. And he can't even, there's a couple shots where you see him watching, but he's not even looking at the TV. His eyes are like off in the distance because he can't focus. He's so distracted by the sounds or by the (laughs) lack of sound that he's hearing from the bedroom. But then there's this absolutely amazing shot where he slowly like reclines his recliner a little more, a little more, a little more until he can just crane his neck to the side and and see through the crack in the door because the door is open slightly. And he can see that they are, in fact, making out. And he is not having it. (laughs) Yeah. And let me just make a couple of quick visual observations here. Uh, The haircuts are terrible, uh, particularly Mike. And as we get into a couple of other characters, and I remember texting you and you're like, it was the 80s. And I'm like, I'm not sure I can be forgiving in this case, because that might become a distraction. But Hopper has definitely let himself go. Like, he's got the mustache (laughs) with the... Beyond five o'clock shadow. This is like the five o'clock like deep woods is what this is. And yeah. he he just looks like he hasn't worked in six months. <laughs> and he's looking more, shall I say, portly than he has in the past. Not that he was ever like in peak physical condition, but yeah. He definitely yeah. feels like he let himself go a little <laughs> bit. It almost feels like being a father figure to L is so much harder for him than all his work as a yes. police chief and dealing with mm-hmm. all the upside down government stuff that he has had to deal with over the past two years. Like this is the <laughs> hardest thing for him and it's driving him insane. Yeah. He's <laughs> so, like, he's like raise a teenager, fight a Demogorgon. Hmm, right. Toss up there. T- I don't know what I'm He'll do. take the Demogorgon yeah. every time. Yeah. <laughs> he really will. He really will. I can't fault him for the food he's eating. I like the Tostitos and salsa. That's a great couch snack or a great recliner snack. So I, I, I can't disagree with that. He's definitely comfort eating because of what he's dealing with. You have to remember, this is a tiny little cabin with, I think, mm-hmm. one room other than the main room. I, I mean, I don't think there's like two or three bedrooms in this place. I think there's one bedroom that's L's, and then I, I think Hopper probably just sleeps in the main space. I, I don't think we ever see a bedroom for him. But anyway, uh, one thing I just want to point out, because during this whole sequence, we get some credits that are continuing, like 
to display on the bottom of the screen. And one of them I noticed was the director of photography for this episode, and his name is Tim Ives. And I was thinking, hmm, Ives, that sounds very familiar. Yes, it does. So it makes me curious if uh, he perhaps was somehow an inspiration for Terry Ives. Wouldn't doubt it. I'll have to go back and look at the other episodes to see if he's a DP on any of that. So after the awkward keep your door shut or open, as a matter of fact, then we move to Starcourt Mall. So we've gotten the uh, introduction of what Ellen and Mike are doing. Mike leaves on his way to Starcourt Mall. He is talking to Elle on the walkie. This right here was something very reminiscent of what I experienced both on the giving and receiving end of my friendships, which is being obsessed about your current girlfriend to the point where you're basically just alienating everybody else. Like yeah. the newness in, in all seriousness, it was frustrating and it was frustrating for my friends when I did it. It was frustrating for me and all my friends when somebody else would do it. But I love how this is portrayed where Mike's like, I got to go, but I'll see you tomorrow. Right. And they just basically do the whole thing all over again because that's all they want to do. And right. it's completely accurate for young teenagers who are obsessed with each other. It's not love. It's physical attraction and really just sort of tapping into the psychedelic hormones that are that are tripping at this point. Yeah, it's infatuation. Yeah, and it's a great transition sequence to get us to Starcourt Mall, which is, I hope, the icon of season three. Season two was the arcade. That was like the, yes, I got the arcade. Now I'm getting a mall. I love this set, Adam. I absolutely love it. I don't know if it was built. I don't know if they found a building and they just started putting stuff on there. I don't know if it's special effects that are just thrown on in After Effects, but I love everything about this mall, the colors, the stores, all the iconography. It's all so familiar to what I experienced living in a time when the mall was where you went because there was nothing else open that was safe for you to go to without your parents freaking out. Right, right. No, no, you're absolutely right. This is a phenomenal set piece that they've created. And without giving anything away, I'll just say that it does play an important role throughout the entire season. So you're going to get lots of Starcourt Mall. And that's probably why they put the money and time into really making this a fully functional, at least the main sort of, I don't know what you would call it, kind of the main atrium area, kind of the the, the center of the mall, kind of where everything kind of- Like the uh, food court and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of the exteriors are mostly CG, except for maybe the facade, you know, that they enter into. But it's uh, clearly a, a massive set, and they've recreated classic stores such as the Gap and Radio Shack and all these places that you would go to. And like you said, it's the most nostalgic aspect I think of this episode and this season is the mall experience because we all remember how much fun it was just to go. To the mall like you didn't even have to have a reason you just went to the mall it, it was a place to be the place to see people to meet people to go to the arcade to go get food where you had like you said a food court with 10 different choices all inside not that malls don't exist anymore but i don't think they hold such a important place in our culture the way they did in the 80s and 90s and this is evident from the fact that there's i think there's a book that's all about a photographer has gone around the country basically taking pictures of abandoned shopping malls all over the country because they've just been unable to stay in business 
essentially with the internet. You know, that's the main competitor. And you have you have Amazon, you have all these other online retailers that have made it impossible for these big chains, you know, like JCPenney and Sears, they were usually the the anchors that kept a mall in business. And then you would have all the smaller stores would prop them up further. But yeah, once those big box stores like JCPenney and Sears started to have trouble, the malls couldn't sustain themselves. They were just too expensive to operate and people could get things cheaper online. So it's an aspect of our culture that I, I miss just like the video store to a certain extent, I missed the going out aspect of shopping. Yeah. And there's a sense of community that we get right. in this episode that I think is really synonymous with what you and I experienced growing up. So if you think about the places that we knew in the 80s and early 90s, there was for me, the roller rink, that was the Friday night hotspot that I would go to. There was the mall, which my brother actually did more than I did. My, my parents didn't mm. really like me going to the mall. And maybe it was because I, I was a teenager in the late 90s and crime started kind of going up. We had like banging in the rock and, you know, the, the gang stuff was, I mean, it wasn't like Compton or, you know, as, as extreme as like places in California, but it started rising a little bit. But even like arcades, these are all communal places where you're participating in things with other people. And I think that that's what you're getting at. Even the video store, when you think about a Blockbuster or for us, it was a Premier Video or Hastings. These were places where you experienced the action of doing something together. So picking out a movie for movie night, as opposed to scrolling through your screen and saying, hey, let's let's watch this movie tonight. Well, there's an aspect of that that's lost of this communal connection of choosing something. Or when you go to an arcade, you're playing the game together. Or when you're going to a mall in general, you have stores that you're going to, like Scoops Ahoy, which is a pretty yeah. phenomenal ice cream shop, by the way. Yeah. All those things. I remember going to a mall and enjoying going to a place called Mr. Bulky's, where you would buy candy by the pound. And it was probably insanely more expensive than going to Walmart or Kroger. But there was something about experiencing that with your friends, where you're just hanging out, you're being together. So that proximity relationship, I think, is lost because... We have the ability now to do things in isolation, for better or for worse. And I think that's what this episode and the show really captures with the characters. So taking a broad stroke commentary about the series so far, a big component of this is community. How are we right. doing this together? And when you're isolated, how does that affect you? So I think that the Duffer Brothers really are leaning in not just to the 80s nostalgia, but everything that made this era so amazing one of those things being a level of community with people. Right. And I think the other aspect of the just the mall experience is the sense of unknown, the the question of like who might you run into? What might you discover in a store that you didn't know existed? You know, whereas today we we shop from a point of we have a destination in mind. We're going to go to this site to find this item. We're going to buy it, we're going to order it or even yeah. with you know, going to Walmart. We're going to go to Walmart, get our toilet paper, get out the front door as fast as we can. But in a mall, you would walk past so many different shops, you know, the bookstore, the record store, you know, whatever. And you would say, oh, well, look at that. That's so cool. And you would go in and check it out. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, and you would do it with your friends and you might run into more friends. And I think that aspect is what they, they just do a great job of, of capturing. And it, I just have to say, it must have been so much fun for everyone involved in this season to get to kind of play around 
in this mall. I love the neon lights. I love all of it. It's just so, mm-hmm. it's so warm and welcoming and just, you throw in the great synth music and it just gives me the, all the feels. <laughs> yeah, for real. Me too. I, I hope we get to see Keith. I know he worked at the arcade last season, so maybe he's migrated to oh, another yeah, store. Keith. I'm hoping we get to, <laughs> he, we only had him for two episodes, but they were monumental and I need at least right. a little bit more Keith in my life. So hopefully we'll, we'll get to see him. Wasn't in this first episode, but the mall is full of stores. So clearly he can get a job somewhere. Maybe. Right. We'll and that's another theme of this episode is the idea that at this point in our country malls were essentially displacing a lot of mom and pop shops in small towns on main street this happened in my town in pennsylvania the small community farming central pennsylvania community and in this case it wasn't a mall but it was when i remember when walmart moved into town all the shops started to disappear Mm -hmm. and yep you know there were people trying to fight it but just you know you could delay it or you could slow it down but it was inevitable it was going to happen yeah Yeah. i i went to school in a small town and um and i thought little rock was a small town but this (laughs) arkadelphia is definitely a small town and i saw that in the four years that i was at school where you had a super center load in and there was a walmart but they shut that one down because it wasn't big it didn't have Mm. everything that you needed and there were other stores like a like a winn dixie or a, or a Piggly Wiggly, that was the one, that it eventually got shut down. Fred's, the discount store where the dollar buys more, stayed, um, because I think it had a lot of stuff that was actually cheaper than Walmart, if you could believe that. But Or yeah, stuff that Walmart just, might might not sell, might not stock. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, such yet, a specialized... Yet. Yeah, yet. <laughs> At that time. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I like that that's kind of the crux of this first episode, at least a, a little piece of it, where we see... Yeah the small town sort of getting evaporated by this, this big mall. This scene is also really great at setting up where other characters are in a really quick way. We see that uh, Lucas's sister has gotten older, but he's still at odds with her. She's hanging out with her friends, calling him things like butt face. He's calling her mall rat and all those great insults that I think we were privy to. And then we get to scoops Ahoy where our friend Steve Harrington is working (laughs) Yeah. In his classy uniform, having to cover up his amazing hair with a terrible hat. <laughs> I was laughing this yes. whole time at this scene because <laughs> clearly he does not want to be working there. <laughs> yeah, even it doesn't matter how cool you are. If you have to wear that uniform, it's not cool. <laughs> yeah, this reminded me of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Absolutely. And Ju- Judge Reinhold's character. And this is also, this introduces a new character, his co-worker at Scoops Ahoy, played by Maya Hawk, who is, I don't know if you know, Ethan Hawk's daughter. So, and Uma Thurman. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And she's great in this, by the way. I love, I love her tood. Like she basically puts Steve in his place later in the episode. I I love that Steve's kind of getting his equal (laughs) at that point in terms of like, like a cool kind of sassy girl. She's this uh, season's Nepo baby. (laughs) <laughs> have you heard that term lately? I have not. What is that? Uh, it's a new thing that has been going around. It refers to nepotism, babies, meaning children of famous parents, and that that might okay. be why they have the jobs or careers that they have. Of course, there's lots of people fighting against this concept because, yes, they might get their foot in their door thanks to a parent. It doesn't have to be a movie star. It could be you know anyone in entertainment or it could be 
politics or it could be a- any business really you know that you have a parent who's successful and they they help grease the wheels for you but the idea is that if she isn't talented, she's not going to be successful. So clearly she's a good actress and doesn't matter yes, that her parents are who they are. That might have helped mm-hmm. get her a, you know audition, but that's about it at the end. If she didn't have the chops. You get the job. You may not get the opportunity by yourself, but you earned it. So right, good stuff. Exactly. Steve sneaks them into the theater, or at least lets them use the back door of Scoops Ahoy, which this is a thing. So you have all these stores that are lined, um, and there's a, an alleyway that connects right. all of them. And we have some like of these a, stores. Like a service, downtown. yeah, service entrance, mm-hmm. um, employees only, yeah. Yep. And they're all going to, uh, it's, it's Will, and it's Max, it's Lucas, it's Mike. I think it's the four of them that are right. going to sneak into a sneak preview. Remember those? I think they still exist. Of George Romero's Day of the Dead. I've not seen this movie. So if there's symbolism here or if it's just a great kind of throw at like a, a popular 80s cult movie, I think it's cool. It's so funny because I've seen a number of his films, but this is one hole in his filmography. I just haven't seen it. Was a, it was a 1985 film. I never saw it. So it would have been out at this time. Obviously R-rated. So... They wouldn't be able to get in on their own. So it makes sense. I think that's the only implication here is that they wanted to see, you know, a gory R-rated horror movie, which they needed to be snuck into in order to to get into. But uh, I don't think there's any other symbolism out. I will tell you, there's no zombies in this uh, (laughs) season. So it's not like it's foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) There were some movie posters in the lobby Mm -hmm. that I noticed uh, that... Were interestingly, I think I saw the poster for Explorers, which is an Ethan Hawke film. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, I didn't see that one. Young twelve-year-old Ethan Hawke is apparently alive, while his daughter is working at Scoops Ahoy. <laughs> that's, that's well, and that makes sense because that poster is close to Back to the Future, which deals with time travel. So it's all there. You go. It's all part of the space-time continuum, and. <laughs> Doc Brown is rolling over in his grave today as yep. we're talking about this. But in my personal opinion, they should have gone to see that. I'm just saying it's it's probably a better movie to sneak into. Which one? You know, I, Back to the Future. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. When did it? I don't know if it came out, if it was out yet. I think it came out July 4th I mean, it was weekend. 80, so that it was that 85 because it was a year later yeah. when the events pushed a year later. So it's July of 85 based off of what the little title card said at the beginning of the episode. I think I believe that. It hadn't come out yet, but we'll learn more soon because I think that later in the season we get a 4th of July celebration at one point. So okay. I think it's maybe the end of June. I'm not quite sure, but maybe maybe I'm misremembering. But it's been a while since I've seen this season. I I gotcha. have seen it, okay. but and I also binged it in like 48 hours. So it all like kind champ. of blurs together. Like a yeah. champ. <laughs> it's all one blob of content in my mind, in my memories. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're getting a chance to space this out a little bit <laughs> yeah. for your for your benefit, but more so for mine, selfishly. Right. So they're watching the movie, uh, sneaking in food and drinks like a champ. That's what you do, because even in the 80s, uh, food and drinks were expensive. And then the power goes out. And I'm like, yeah, when were we yeah. going to get the crazy stuff? And it's clearly like, what, seven minutes into the episode. <laughs> right. And I think there's some really funny stuff that's happening here. First of all, it's great to see all the lights go out. So we know it's not just the movie theater, the mall. I mean, it's all over Hawkins. I love how Steve keeps trying the light switch just to annoy his coworker. Yes. 
That isn't gonna work, Dingus. Oh, really? <laughs> and then when it finally goes back on, he's like, see? See? <laughs> so, as if he did it. As if he Because Steve's amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> you do it enough. On the 85th yeah. time, that's when, it's, right. that's when it works. <laughs> Just keep doing it until the light comes back on. And you look, you fixed it. That's yeah. That's what I do at our house when the power goes out. I just keep flipping the switch, <laughs> thinking, okay, it's 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 me. It's not it's not the actual right. like transformer that's blown like down the road. At some random plant, not Chernobyl, uh, we see the ground debris move, a la BVS, uh, and then something is forming. It's like this kind of like smoke monster. Uh oh, did I say that? <laughs> it's a dirt monster. I get this at this point because it's not in the upside down. Yeah, a debris monster. I don't know. A debris monster. But that doesn't no. roll off the tongue. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> a DM? No, that's yeah. a dungeon master. No, we can't yeah. do that either. <laughs> or a direct message. I think this is the basement of this old steelworks plant or something. I don't. I don't. I think gotcha. that's where we are right now, but they haven't really established it. There was a really cool shot, though, where the camera, like, again, mostly CG, pulled out over the darkened Hawkins and kind of traveled across the the woods and hills. And it kind of lands on this sort of abandoned steelworks and it kind of goes yeah. inside and we see, yeah, this strange formation occurring. Mm -hmm. So I, I look at that and, and I like the ambiguity. I think it's nice to be able to, we don't know what it is. So we don't know if the building itself is significant or what's happening right. in the building. Right. Exactly. Uh, what, from what I can tell, it's drawing power. And um, at the same time, in the theater, you have Will in yet another bad haircut. So that's three for three. Possibly wig. Possibly. I think maybe possibly many of these actors are wearing wigs because I don't think they could survive in real life wearing these haircuts <laughs> around their real <laughs> friends and family. So no, I feel like no. they have regular haircuts underneath these wigs. <laughs> that Yeah, yeah. And yeah. sometimes wigs look worse than real haircuts anyway. So maybe that's mm -hmm. why they look yeah. that much worse. Yeah. Hopper's look, that's genuine. That's that's yes. pure that's pure David Arbor there. But <laughs> these guys, I think that's how he I looks think. every day. <laughs> Unfortunately. They just go to his trailer and film and say, You ready to work? He's like, Yeah, yeah. He just wears a cop yeah. uniform every day. <laughs> Let me just get my Tostitos and we're yeah. ready to go. <laughs> It's just what he brought with him to set that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So then, um, so Will's there and he gets a little tingling on the back of his, uh, his neck. And then we get that flashback. It's basically a summary slide of like, here's what happened in Stranger Things 2 that was nuts. Yeah. Of all the things he had to deal with, basically, all the, the yeah. horrors that he's been through. <laughs> Dude, we Kid. made a wish, a Christmas wish or some kind of wish, make a make a wish yeah. foundation where we said, if you're going to do something, if you're going to mess with somebody, get away from Will. He he is. Yeah. <laughs> leave him alone. He's done it. He's, he's wearing bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got he's bad had hair his fair now. share. <laughs> he doesn't need anything else. Spread the horror around. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be so stingy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the lights come back on. Everybody's cheering. They get to watch their R-rated craziness that is day of the dead and then we move to the next day and yeah. we get our reintroduction of nancy waking up with jonathan <laughs> and apparently they're late for something we find out what that is but i guess yeah they're summer jobs perhaps yeah i love how it's set up that nancy's like sneaking out 
But this is weird. And maybe I read into this. She sneaks out. Jonathan comes out of his room and Joyce sees the lipstick, like the kiss thing on his cheek. Yeah. And I get the feeling that she knows that Nancy's like sleeping over. Oh, but I, yeah. I can't. I, mean, I feel like that's the case. because I, I think so, too. I think Joyce is a very progressive mother and just <laughs> <You> think? <laughs> very accepting of of her her sons uh, and all the things that they do. Yeah. But I think Nancy's mother and father are clearly far more conservative. And so I think she just needs to, at least on the well, surface well, nancy's nancy's father is more conservative we'll, yeah we'll we'll unpack that lunchbox here in a few minutes i just mean like in the sense of how they portray how they parent you know what i mean in terms yeah. of rules and and curfews and and you're mm-hmm. not going to be seeing that boy that kind of thing whereas gotcha i think joyce is just kind of like yeah i mean he's gonna do what he's gonna do just uh, yeah, <laughs> at least he's not in the upside down. Right. What's the lesser two? <laughs> it evils? could be worse. <laughs> yeah. It could be worse. You could be possessed by a demon, and you know, right. then then I have to redecorate our house with clues. <laughs> right. Or your your boyfriend could be mauled by demodogs. You know, so it's like she's gone yeah. through enough that I think the fact that her oldest son has a girl sleeping over is probably nothing to worry about for her. That's a win for Joyce. You know. Yeah. That's a that's my normal boy. <laughs> hey, and he's he could be marrying up, you know, into the uh, the rich be. side of town. It, it could be, it could be. <laughs> so he takes off, and then we see Will talking to Joyce, and then we get a drawing of Bob Newby, superhero. Yes, and I loved I love that little tribute on the fridge. Yeah, yeah, it was on the fridge. Now it's on the floor, and then the scene kicks over to Jonathan's car. They're racing down the the road, Nancy. Your hair, your makeup, wow, come on. You're better than that. You really are. I mean, even for the 80s, you could you could definitely <laughs> do better. <laughs> and I guess you could apologize because you're just getting up out of your boyfriend's like twin bed. <laughs> but, I mean, put yourself together, girl. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're making fun of how everyone looks, but if you look at pictures of people... I know. If you Google, like bad high school photos of the 80s it's ridiculous i don't know how anyone thought these looks were good it's just i think they're leaning into the the badness of the sure makeup hairstyles clothing all of it they're definitely doing that but the weird thing is when you live it when you were living it you didn't think it was bad that's the weird no yeah and you can say that for any style i think for me just as a viewer and I say all this very sarcastically, like it's not going to sure. yeah. ruin my entertainment. I think that it is worth saying that you have to be careful about leaning too far into a trope or or to an yes. idea because they, then it can become distracting. So like Will's hair, as bad as it is, it does look like a wig. Like it, I get yeah. that it looks like an 80s kid's hair, but it looks a little too on the nose. Whereas when right. you watch one and two, it looked like classic 80s in very conservative, innocent. Again... I, I get all this and all these visuals that we're seeing and that we're making fun of and, and having fun with make total sense for the era. I trust that the season's going to distract me enough from the other things going on that I'm not going to be like, oh gosh, that's going to be like an eyesore for the rest of the season. So right. for the sake of this first episode, I'm having my fun and I'll probably quit it. Yeah. After this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I agree because it also is the fact that these actors are getting older now where these hairstyles 
that were sort of normal for your preteen years don't quite fit as well anymore with the older actors. They're still trying to play, I think, a little younger than they really are. I mean, I had that Will Byers haircut at one point, but I was like eight or nine. You know, I wasn't 13, 14. By then I was getting a shorter haircut. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, they're on their way to, I think, the newspaper we find out. They both work there. I actually didn't catch this the first time that she works there, but she's just kind of a gopher. I thought she was working for like a like a courier service where oh. she's delivering food, but that's not the case. She actually works there and she's just being demeaned because she's a woman. And that's And she wants to be a writer, but obviously writes. Jonathan's a photographer and she wants to be a writer, so it's a great chance for them to work together, summer job together, be in the same place, but <laughs> she's clearly not being challenged in any way. And uh, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit Later, but yes, there's a group of middle-aged, misogynistic white men that basically run the paper. Sheesh. And yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, it's awful, even by eighty standards. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the next scene is this is a really I love the transition here. So yeah. Jonathan's car with its blood stains on top. No, they're they're rust stains, <laughs> as we established. Yeah. Uh, it's driving, and then we see Dustin in his mom's car coming back from Camp Nowhere, K-N-O-W. What a great camp that we assume is for smart people, science, whatever. Perfect for Dustin. science camp. Yep. Yep. And he's trying to get in touch with his people, and he can't, and it's frustrating. And this just kind of reinforces the relationship that he has with his mom, just so terse with his language and frustrated. And she's like, Dustin, calm down. They're... I don't know if she's in on the joke that we find out later. I think... (laughs) I feel like she is. But it's it's a cool little sequence where... He's establishing, you're getting an establishment. Okay. Yeah. What, where was Dustin? Oh, I didn't, I, for, I didn't realize that he wasn't at the movie with them. Oh, he's coming back from right. camp after a month. So really cool way to kind of bring him into the, into the fold. And then we get back to his house. He goes to his room and the robots start moving on their own. Creepy at first. Cause I'm like, okay, we've seen the power go out. What's happening. Is dark coming back in like 2.0 in like some kind of weird form. I don't know. Dustin takes precautions by grabbing his Farrah Fawcett hairspray. So I love that he's still using (laughs) that. And we actually find out that the crew is playing a joke on him. I love the fact that they're using Elle's powers, which have been used to protect and to fight off bad things, to actually play a joke (laughs) on Dustin. They do surprise him. You know, he's distracted by the, the, the figurines, these robots, and they say surprise. And of course, he sprays Farrah Fawcett spray in lucas's face which is phenomenal great way to end the scene his mouth full of like no teeth Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so that scene ends and now we're at the pool the community pool the pool that reminds me of the scene in the sandlot and i'm like what shenanigans are going to happen here is (laughs) dustin going to jump in the pool and like pretend to drown and like some hot girl phoebe cates apparently (laughs) is she going to come out yeah and give him out the mouth. But what we see is Mike's mom and other ladies all dressed up to impress Billy. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I thought this was a one-off like haha moment, but apparently the Duffer brothers are like, Hey, that got some good response from our audience. Let's lean into that a little bit more. And yeah. all I could say was, ew, like this was yeah. hilarious and awkward, almost as bad as the scene with Billy and Mrs. Wheeler at her house. It's so hilarious and just so awkward. I it's, can't it's just, say that enough. It's great that they took that little thread from the end of last season and carried it forward 
to this episode and they really spend quite a bit of time <laughs> on this oh, aspect of, on the this slow-mo the yeah. slow-mo is just like in full effect <laughs> uh the way she's like looking at him like biting her lip and oh it's just like you are a middle-aged married woman with three children stop it <laughs> please please stop it <laughs> yeah so much makeup too oh yeah the, yeah she looks like a clown a little bit uh, less like a clown but <laughs> Yeah, a clown by by today's standards, not by eighty standards. I like that it's established that Billy's in charge. He's walking. He's got the whistle in his mouth. The glasses are on, and then this great kind of cut to this overweight kid. Hey, Lordass! No running on my watch. I gotta warn you again, and you're banned for life. You want to be banned for life, Lordass? Didn't think so. And everybody stops, and then yeah, he blows like, the whistle. There's like silence. Everyone <laughs> in the entire, like everyone in the pool, just is looking at him. And then he gives everyone permission to continue by blowing his whistle. And it's just amazing what power he has. So he's kept his mojo going. Yeah, I think Steve Harrington has tried, but that hat just just completely destroying any kind of credibility he has fashion wise. Yeah. So then we're in downtown Hawkins, uh, which you alluded to earlier. We see like it's almost like an abandoned town. Places have yeah. either moved to the mall or they're closed. Uh, we see in the Radio Shack, which reminds us of Bob. And and again, I'm picking up this stuff the second time around. First time I was like, oh my gosh, did it go out of business because Bob's dead? No, it just went out. It either moved to the mall. That's right. Yeah, it's, the sign said it said it. Um, it's moved to their new location in the Starcourt Mall. So. At Got least it. it didn't go out of business. But Radio Shack is still a chain, whereas if it was a like mom and pop repair shop, it probably would have closed because they couldn't afford, you know, mm-hmm. to pay the mall rents. But you know, Radio sure. Shack was a was a really big brand at the time. Speaking of brands, we get to the general store. It's one of the few operating stores where Joyce works. There's apparently a huge sale going on for obvious reasons. And the the product placement is fantastic here, not just because of the placement of the products like oh yeah i get to see this and this and this but the fact that as we alluded to in stranger things one the attention to detail at all these different products so if i'm on a budget i'm showing close-ups of joyce and hopper talking to each other i'm not showing these wide shots of old boxes of tampax or sudzo spray or whatever other products (laughs) that you recognize some you don't recognize the others and that's what i think is really interesting is i'd like to go with a fine tooth comb and look at, okay, was that a real product? Was that a real product? I recognize that. And so if I'm trying to be economical as a production designer, I'm going to find products that are recognizable and stick them with products that are not so that everything feels like it's authentic to that time period. So right. this whole set itself, I think is pretty fantastic. One that it shows the the lack of customers. It was already sort of not popular even when downtown Hawkins was bustling it wasn't i mean maybe it was a popular store the nativity scene alone should have been worth going in for but (laughs) from now you know that it's it's almost like they're just living in a an abandoned town with this one store open and even it has trouble getting customers it's interesting because this season by the time this season was you know greenlit it was such a success for netflix the show and the franchise and all the merchandising that I think they were basically told from a music licensing standpoint and from a production design standpoint, whatever you want, 
you have it. Don't worry. If you want a song, we'll pay for it. If you want 50 different authentic products to be in the background that were from that era, you'll get them. You know, there's no there's yeah. no issue anymore. Whereas in season one, it was still somewhat of a unknown. No one knew if it was going to be a hit or not. And I think they were being more economical in all those areas. So now at this point, we're we're in big budget territory. Everything is uh, at the the most expensive it can be. Right. The whole point of this scene, we have Hopper coming in. He's struggling because he's like, how do I talk to these kids? Joyce suggests a, quote, heart to heart. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with that <laughs> just because of <laughs> many factors. They're, they're teenagers, and that can get pretty awkward. But the fact that one of them is a telekinetic crazy person at times <laughs> who can make robots move, among other things. So there's a lot of complexity here. Hopper's response was so funny when Joyce says a heart to heart. He's like, uh, a heart to heart? What is that? You know, he's like, but like with all sincerity, like he has no idea what she's even talking about in terms of like bearing your emotions or communicating with words because he's just not that kind of guy. Yeah. I do like what she says at one point in the scene. She says, it's really important that no matter how they respond, you stay calm. That's great parental advice, just period. Mm-hmm. Like I, I definitely heed that advice with my relationship with my son where when he escalates, if I escalate with him, it basically just justifies and it doesn't accomplish anything. So like, for instance, I was driving him home from school and he was trying to finish his homework because he doesn't want to have homework when he gets home. It's called right. car work at that point. He grabs a pencil that I apparently had, I didn't realize, and he starts finishing his homework. He can't use a pen. He has to use a pencil. He gets frustrated because he wrote a sentence down wrong. And so when he starts erasing, it actually tears the paper and he just goes, you know, just his kind of own little like growl. And I remember thinking, just stay calm. It's okay. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened to you. And he recovered. And as opposed to me going, why are you getting so mad? Because if I do that, then he's going to just escalate and then it becomes out of control. So great advice. Good going, yeah. Joyce. Not sure I agree with the heart to heart, but great, uh, great kind of perspective. It's all about, have. I think, just empathizing with them with children, just letting them know that you understand what they're feeling. And usually they'll get it. They'll self-regulate or self-correct or or figure out what's right, you know, what's wrong. You don't get much by screaming and yelling, but that's kind of Hopper's yeah. way of <laughs> doing things. So <laughs> Yes. Definitely a different way to approach the children there. Yeah. The uh the other store, one of the other few stores that's open, I say stores, is the Hawkins Post. Of course, this is where we find out that that's where Jonathan and Nancy are working. He's a photographer. She's a gopher. She's bringing lunch in for the gang. And I see the dark room and I'm like, don't open it. Don't open it. Don't open it. And she does. It's just like, yeah, it's the worst thing. It reminds me of the great Muppet caper in the scene where they have the the picture of the thief and somebody opens the dark room and it just kind of wasn't there. Wasn't the light on that on the door that says like, don't, you know, come in, uh, you know, I'm. I think there's a sign that says don't open, knock oh, first. That, was that what it was? Like yeah. There was something yeah. that a signal that she should know by now. Your boyfriend's yeah. a photographer. Come on. Yeah. But apparently not. She's got she's got make out hangover, I guess, brain or something. <laughs> anyway, um, so she drops off the food at those chauvinistic pigs that we refer to as the employees <laughs> of the newspaper. And here's Jake Busey. Wow. Yeah. This guy as an actor, he's a creeper in any form and he definitely shows it here. I think I want to say 
he was also in contact. He played the the wacko. He was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's a great it's a great role. So Jake he has one of those faces. He blew up, right? He's the one that blew up the first Yes, um, the first uh spacecraft. Machine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Elon Musk <laughs> created it or something. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why build one when you can build two at twice the price? You know? That's right. <laughs> Never. The first rule. <laughs> <laughs> Only the zero gravity is keeping the cancer from eating me alive. <laughs> that's awesome. The fact that you know that line is great. <laughs> so, yes, that's the last time I've seen Jake Busey, but I remember him distinctly. Starship Troopers. And, he was in that, too. Oh, that's right. He was in Starship Troopers, too. Yeah. It was like the same year or close. <laughs> he blew up, apparently. Yeah. Not only the, the ship, but his All of this is like 20 years ago. Yeah. So, clearly... <laughs> We're missing some time here in his career. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so she suggests st- they're struggling to find a story. And, you know, he's making all these just really bad misogynistic comments about uh, whoever's like um, bosoms and whatnot. Like, I want something local. I hear there's a beauty pageant at the fair this year. Yeah, I'm looking for above the fold here, Bruce. And clearly you haven't seen Lucy LeBrock because I'm not sure she'll fit above the fold. <laughs> Whatever. Oh. So Nancy, she breaks in. She's she gets bold and she suggests a story about Starcourt. And I love the setup here. It's so terrible, but it's so great. He goes, "Oh yeah, you know the the loss of small town America to the big Cheney and and <laughs> it's whole bit with the burger where he says, "But I think I've got something even spicier. It's about the missing mustard on my hamburger." <laughs> You think you can follow the clues and solve the case of the missing condiment, Nancy Drew? <laughs> and I love yeah. that her name's Nancy. It's just great. Oh, it's it's awful, but it definitely sets him up. I'm hoping, you know, for the sake of the story, that we get more of him and that maybe he gets his comeuppance. But I love yeah. this scene and how it just really creates that dynamic of, yeah, she's definitely up against a wall of like opposition when it comes to these. This boys club yeah exactly yeah 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 i mean i think they're having fun with it because they're all just making horrible bad jokes they're all laughing at them and everything and not to say that it wasn't like this but i think they're you know obviously taking it to the extreme for the sake of the story but yeah it was at this time it was it was hard if you were a young woman like she was trying to break into a certain type of industry or or business that's what you were up against up against a lot of men that looked similar <laughs> and who uh had been doing it for a while and it was hard to break right. in meanwhile at dustin's house lucas is uh trying to uh, use the homemade eye wash to get farrah fawcett out of his eyes <laughs> and max who is his girlfriend i, I think this is a great dynamic between you know, he and Max and Mike and Elle and just how different they are as, as couples. But she asks him, can you, I think you can see, you know, can you see? And he makes that comment about, is that new zit? And she like, like puts his hand right under, yeah. her head, right under like, the eyewash. Why, why would you, this is where <laughs> I, I think they capture the stupidity of the young adolescent male and that he clearly needs to learn what you do and, what you don't mention or say. <laughs> it's the kind of thing right. that you quickly learn in a relationship that you never bring up any appearance issues whatsoever. 
<laughs> there is no edit button. Unless they're positive. Like yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dustin's showing off his summer inventions. He shows off this invention called the Slammer, yes. which I thought was very reminiscent of the invention that Billy's dad had in Gremlins. Absolutely. I don't know if that was yeah. a callback or not, but great kind of reminder of like, yes, that is a potentially great invention, only there's no real hammer effect. There's like just a little, like you're tapping yeah. the nail and the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't know how with, useful with it would be, but <laughs> not as no. not as useful as the bathroom buddy. Uh, I was going to say the bathroom buddy is king. You know, it's, it's the big seller. I would want a bathroom buddy <laughs> with all of its hangups. <laughs> it was a great invention. I'm surprised, frankly, that no one ever made a bathroom buddy and called it the bathroom buddy because i think just the connection at this point to gremlins would make it sell as a novelty gag item (laughs) i think so i think so well there's a reveal of one final invention called cerebro great little throw over to uh to x-men um and he uses it to talk to his quote girlfriend Susie with a z who is, quote, Phoebe Cates only hotter. Great, great <laughs> reference. I loved Phoebe Cates. Again, Gremlins. Let's go back. Let's just call yeah. two references to Gremlins. So Phoebe Cates as well as the Slammer. And she was in private school with Matthew Modine. And wasn't she in Fast Times at Ridgemont High as well? And she was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, see? So so we're, we're getting lots of connections here. We got, we got Modine and Stranger Things and Phoebe Cates. Phoebe Cates is going to be the connecting piece for all these episodes, I'm predicting. So if we don't see Phoebe Cates at some point in the season as an adult or, or whatever, then I'm going to be disappointed. So that's on they my should, wish list. They, yeah, that would be pretty cool if she came back as like a teacher or a mom of a character. That's not a bad idea. Although I don't think she acts Same. anymore. I think she's she's retired. Okay. Well. But anyway. A boy yeah. can dream. A boy can dream. Yeah. So then we're back at Ahoy Ice Cream. And Steve is trying to flirt with the girls at his job. I think, I don't remember what college she had on her shirt. Maybe Purdue or something. But he's like. Yeah, you know, I considered it Purdue. But then I was like, you know what? I, I really think I need some real life experience, you know, before I hit college. See what it feels like. I don't like a... I don't know. See what it's like to earn a working man's wage, you know? And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I think that's like really important. Yeah, totally. Yeah, anyways, this is like so fun. <laughs> and he is just <laughs> crashing and burning. Apparently, apparently more than once because his, his coworkers keeping a tally of you rock or you suck, I think is uh, the two columns. And I think he's up to five to zero of you suck versus you rock. And it's, again, I think this is just reinforcing this great dynamic that I think we're going to get more of with her and him. But in this, we get a little bit of backstory uh, besides that his best feature is being hidden by a company uniform. He actually couldn't get to college and his dad is making him do this job. And so it's humiliating. He doesn't really have much of a future happening for him. And it's interesting because I know that we get that conversation in the first episode of season two, where he and Nancy are talking about their future and she's concerned that he's going to go off to college and, you know, what's she going to do because she's, you know, still like, I think she's a year behind him. And so obviously they're not together anymore. It's a great kind of parallel of like, what are they doing? Where Nancy's got a job, albeit it sucks. So does he, it sucks. So there's some similarities there, you know, and I kind of like how that's, that's working with, uh, with seeing how both of them are doing today as opposed to yeah. the beginning of last season. And if we recall, he comes from a wealthy family in the first season. That's the, he has the swimming pool with that Barb gets 
grabbed by the Demogorgon mm-hmm. from. And I think, yeah, so my guess is that Steve didn't get into college, but he has his father's business to potentially take over one day. But his father's is saying, you need to, you know, learn how to work, learn how to do something that you don't like doing. So he's, you know, made him get a job at the mall until yeah. he's old enough to, you know, take over and work for his family business, I'm assuming. Got to grow up a little bit, Steve. Exactly. Gotta he's got to yeah. put, in, put in his time before he can, you know, he's just not going to be handed a job by his father. He's got to, you know, do what he's got to do. He doesn't need to be a Nepo baby. When it That's comes right. To- yeah. Exactly. See, you learned a new term today. <laughs> I did. I'm gonna. It's the vocabulary word for today. I'm gonna use it three more times if I can. Back at the general store, Hopper is rehearsing what he's potentially going to say to Mike and L, and obviously mm-hmm. struggling because this is not at all who Hopper is. What I think is great about this particular scene is that there's some small flirtation, but reluctance on Joyce's yeah. part. I like the hand and then being taken away. Clearly, she's not over Bob yet. And obviously, we're getting what we've confirmed already in some roundabout way that Hopper like likes her. He doesn't just like her, but he like, right. likes her. <laughs> and I think I think he, he wants this relationship with her. But I'm saying, Hopper, lose the triple chin first. Get yourself together. <laughs> get back to the gym and live. Live your life and stop worrying yeah. about your telekinetic daughter. Well, and I think he knows, too after everything that happened in the previous season with Bob and the manner of his, of his death that, that he can keep showing his affection to Joyce, but until she's ready, like he doesn't seem upset about the fact that she kind of rejects him because I think he understands. Mm-hmm. He's just in my mind, he's continuing to kind of give little hints, hoping she's ready, but he's just waiting. He's waiting for his chance, you know, for her to be ready mm-hmm. to, to have sort of gotten over the events um, because she, she clearly loved Bob and, and had a a very good thing going. And we get a great little flashback scene in this episode. And it was great to see Sean Astin back, even if it is a flashback. Yeah. I think foreigner should have been playing in the background. No waiting for a girl like you. The the soundtrack in this particular episode is pretty phenomenal. It's loaded. I mean, as I said, this was not a cheap licensing episode (laughs) from a licensing standpoint this was very expensive not at all so now we're hiking with dustin and max mike well really the whole crew at this point dustin's humor is on full display here he refers to mormons as quote super religious white people accurate and he refers to his relationship with this mysterious Susie as shakespearean as a result of her being from a from a mormon family <laughs> and, and there's um, some fun banter like oh but they can't use electricity and they're like no no that's amish <laughs> it's like, <laughs> let's right. not start stereotyping people please come on right. we can do this better <laughs> we get that the crew is frustrated with mike and l and again this harkens back to what i was i was saying earlier that i hated this i hated i did i didn't mind it when i was in a relationship and everybody else didn't matter except me and my girlfriend but when i was on the outside looking in along with my other buds this is just stupid. Like we're going to go to the mall now. We're going to go to the skating rink and attempt to pick up girls. Not really in our heads. We're going to do that while you go hang out with your girlfriend and, and make out in some park. Cause you can't do it at your parents' house. Cause that would be weird. But yeah, I mean, I felt that. And or and being like the fifth wheel, if there was two couples, like I feel sure. bad for Will again, because he's the one character in this episode without a significant other, all three, 
you know, assuming Susie is real, they all are in some type of relationship. <laughs> and here he is yet again, just having creepy premonitions and <laughs> feelings. Oh, so he has a significant, yeah, he has a significant other. It's just a, it's just a monster or some creepy right, right. thing that's growing in the steelworks because <laughs> he gets that tingle. And then we see rats kind of start moving toward the steel building, kind of Pied Piper style. And right. look, you know, you've heard my thoughts on pets and animals and how I just don't want to see this. And yeah, gratefully Chernobyl, they sh- they didn't show. They just let us hear. I didn't, I still haven't seen yeah, part of the episode. It's still um, not a pleasant thing to, no. to, to <laughs> imagine or to have to picture in your mind, whether you're seeing it or not. It's just not a good thought. No, but the Duffers are like, screw it. We're just going to show these, these rats exploding. Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, I thought they were just going towards this little dust bowl thing. And no, <laughs> they're just going to explode in front of us. But at least they're rats. At least they're not true. Yeah. An animal yeah. that we we look upon with, yeah, with affection. With <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they were hamsters or gerbils, I'd have problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Back at the pool, there's more awkward Billy and Mrs. Wheeler moments. He's chewing gum. She's swimming laps. He's gawking. It's awkward and hilarious and all these things that we've mentioned more than enough. And he's basically pushing a rendezvous for them to get together. And I think the discussing meter hits like a 12 out of 10 yeah. for me on this. Because if if we were banking on this just sort of being subtle, it got completely deliberate with him. Like he is in no way, shape or form being subtle about what he wants to do. I mean, it's it's flirtation. It's a lot of innuendo, but she knows what's going on. And I kind of respect her for pushing back a little bit. She's like, look, I don't need lessons from you. Um, (laughs) I'm good. And he's like, yeah, you do Mrs. Wheeler. (laughs) And so he's got a spell on Mrs. Wheeler and we're like, get away from this guy because something's obviously not. He knows all the strokes. Freestyle butterfly. Breaststroke. Oh. oh. You okay? But the fact that she's even remotely entertaining it in a public place where all of her girlfriends are hanging out watching is kind of surprising because, well, first of all, I think he's probably 17. I may, he could be 18, but. Let's call him 18 just to be, just, just for sake of argument. Yeah. He's barely 18, if he is. Yeah. He just turned 18. So I'm sorry, but this it's a a bit surprising that she would be contemplating this at all. And it's not like she's in a bad marriage or something. Yeah. I mean, her husband's a bit of a loaf, always on his recliner sleeping, but but he's not a bad guy. You know, provides a good life. They've got three kids together. So it's funny, though. It's all, it's played for laughs. And, Thankfully, they don't actually, uh, at least we don't see anything happen between them, which I think <laughs> that that would be going too far. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think as much as I do respect the fact that she pushed back a little bit, I do think she is playing with fire. The fact that she dresses up to get right. him to look at her, the fact that she does flirt with him. I think she's a little surprised that he does push that. And I think it pushes her a little bit to say, well... Maybe it couldn't hurt. And you're right. Fortunately, for reasons that we'll get into, they don't meet up. But still, 
I wonder if this relationship or her motivations are going to play a part in season three as like a subplot to all this, mm-hmm. because we it played for laughs last year or last year, last season. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if, because the Duffer brothers are continuing this, is it going to play a factor? Maybe we no, maybe we don't because the end of the episode <laughs> it says something that yeah. gets me questioning. Then we're back to hiking uh, there's this great moment with Lucas and Max. He drinks all the water, and then she's like, "Really? You drank all of our water?" And then he spits <laughs> it back in. Again, oh, it goes back to that. It's just you don't know what you're doing, and he's, you yeah, just, he's so yeah. awkward and doesn't understand, and he hasn't learned any of the the lessons he needs to learn about being in a relationship. Yeah, he's adolescently selfish, and it makes sense. Right. But this is what makes it funny is that he doesn't think he did anything wrong or he thinks that, oh, if I spit this back in there, it's fine. I fixed the problem. That'll somehow make up for the fact that I just chugged. (laughs) And it's great. The sound design, everything, the way he's just chugging it and gulping it. Did you seriously just drink the rest of our water? If you're so thirsty after like a long hike or a long jog or run and you start just chugging water because it's so hot, that's what it sounds like. It's just like you can't get it down your throat fast enough. You're just chugging (laughs) it down. And she's just staring at him. Her expression's priceless as he just finishes off the canteen. Meanwhile, they start building Cerebro and I'm really kind of wondering practically, do they have to take it down after they do this? Or is this like Dustin's way of saying, we're planting our flag here of electronics and this is where I'm going to be talking that's to Susie kind for the of, rest of my life. Yeah, that's what I think because A, it took forever to get there and took for a long time to assemble everything, get it up and running. It's a pretty remote location. I would imagine they could just leave it there and come back whenever they need to without worrying but you know maybe we'll find out they're basically in camp nowhere yeah look at you Uh. little little dad joke for the for the win there good job adam i like that (laughs) hey i'm a dad what can i say (laughs) you can say a lot and you do and it's good stuff hey that's why hopper gained weight he's a dad again so he has the dad bod see oh yes so anyway dustin attempts to contact Susie to no avail that gets us back to the buyer house no one's home Joyce makes some lasagna and some peas, and she's watching Cheers. Woohoo! I thought about you because I know you love yeah. Cheers, and, and I, I knew exactly which episode they were watching too. I was like, oh, I remember I that's the one did. where <laughs> that's the episode uh, where Diane is in Italy and she's going to get married to Fraser. And anyway, I won't get into it now, but that's on our other podcast. It's a two-parter, podcast. I think. Yeah. Well, it should be. I mean, with that kind of drama, absolutely. Yeah. That's a big situation right there. <laughs> and this is that scene that you mentioned where we get that flashback with Bob. We see that he shared that same love of cheers. I love the line, I just wish they'd get back together already. Right. And she's like, yeah. I mean, she's just really happy. They kiss, and it's it's pretty yep. fantastic. And then we cut back to the present day. You can tell she's sad, but I think she's just moving through it. Like, I think she's like, look, yeah. I appreciate the fact that she didn't turn the TV off and she's like, I can't deal with this. No, she keeps the TV on and she cuts her, cuts her lasagna with a knife, which I don't think is what you're supposed to do. I think you 
cut it with a fork because it's supposed <laughs> to be soft enough. Sorry, I don't mean to. Maybe she didn't microwave it long enough. <laughs> she probably didn't. She probably didn't. <laughs> I agree with you. I think she's just. This scene is not meant to show that she's depressed or overly sad. It's just more that she's still remembering him and he's still on her mind. And that as a result, she's not ready to be in a new relationship yet. And I think that's all that this is intended to show here. I think she seems mm-hmm. actually very more than she has in much of this show thus far to be very together actually in this episode. She seems like she's happy mm-hmm. with how her kids are doing. She's happy at work, although who knows how much longer she'll have that job if the store <laughs> closes, but she's clearly the only employee there right now. I didn't even see a pharmacist back there. <laughs> she might be doubling. It's, I mean, it's 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 like it's apocalyptic for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe she can get a job at Scoops Ahoy or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, the, but the end of the scene, we see... Bob's picture falls again and it's got that same kind of vibration that I think we alluded to. So clearly something's up. I asked the question, you know, what's going on? And of course, well, to ask that question, just ask yourself, what's holding all those pictures up and you might be able to start. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to figure thinking about possibilities. Okay. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Now I've got to watch the first episode again for that one scene. <laughs> I think you could, there's there's a button on your VCR. You can fast forward it to find the scene. And... <laughs> oh boy. All right. So back at the newspaper, <laughs> Nancy answers yeah. the phone and we see she writes down Doris Driscoll with an address, and then disease dot, 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 rats. Yeah. So I don't know who Doris Driscoll is. I know that there are rats involved because we've seen them explode. Yep. Don't know what this yep. means. I, you know, these are these are the nuggets that we like of a premiere of like, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to lay these different things down for you, and we're going to hopefully answer some of those questions. And this might be her chance as an, let's say, investigative reporter for this newspaper to to actually solve a mystery for the paper. She clearly wants a chance to to prove herself. So thankfully she answered the phone and got this little <laughs> tip before anyone else she did. Gonna, she's going to Nancy Druitt, or in this case, That's Nancy right. Wheeler. It. So she's <laughs> she's on the case. Drew it up. She's going to Drew it up. Then we're back at Elle's room for makeout session number two, or maybe it's 52. We don't know because they've been in a relationship for at least a week. So <laughs> Aria Speedwagon's playing on the on the boombox this time. Yeah. And they can't fight this feeling anymore, apparently, since they're going to be kissing like they do. Now Hopper's struggling. He's in his room. <laughs> I don't know if he's smoking or not, but he is clearly just kind he of, was. Kind he of was. psych himself up. I wrote this down because... It made me laugh. He is laying on his bed, the camera looking down over him. He's hugging a pillow, like for dear life, while smoking with food crumbs and ash from his cigarette, like all over his face and pillows. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he has a coffee mug next to it, next to his table, like with like cigarette butts in it. You know, it's so just gross. like he's such a slob <laughs> and such a disaster. <laughs> He has let himself go, Adam. He's let himself yeah. go, and I feel bad for him. <laughs> but it's so in character that I love it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. David Harbour's so great. He's just so great. Yes. Yeah. I often think when I watch shows or movies, like oh, who else could have played a, an iconic part? And I can't really think of any actor that could do what David Harbour does in this show. He's a big, tough guy, very authoritative, but has a sense of humor about him as well. Doesn't take himself too seriously, but he also just has this gruff kind of manliness to him that, you know, you don't see that in all actors these days, you know, because you can't be too pretty. You can't be too young. You can't be too old. Like it's just, he's like just the right age, just the right body type, just everything about him kind of fits this character so well. Yeah. And he's, he's embodying it for sure. I don't know that I'd want to see anybody else in this role. So I'm glad that we have him. He brings so much to the character just, and there's a dynamic here. I mean, we've seen not different sides of him, but we see, we see familiarity throughout the series so far, but we see some growth in him and it's because of his relationship with L. And so as we laugh through the scene, we also know the struggle of being a parent and having to sit down with your child and have the hard conversations, whatever they are. And of course this is played for laughs, but what I think is really great is that we see what I would call the real hopper come out. He goes into her room to chat and it's so awkward Turns off Ario Speedwagon because nobody can think with, you know, fighting this feeling in your ear. Something frustrating. I got, I got like a ooh, like a trigger when they started whispering. Oh my gosh! I wanted to just slap Mike across the face and say, "Stop that! That is incredibly yeah. disrespectful," because it's like they have the upper hand. And I love his response after they say, "Uh oh, I think we're in trouble." And I think the music changes a little bit (laughs) to where he goes. You know what? Your mom called. What? Yeah. She needs you home right away. Is everything okay? I don't think so. It's your grandma. I mean, he doesn't give him any kind of out. And Mike's like, what's going on? And then we get to the car and he just goes off at him. Like, it's just beautiful. It's like, this is the heart to heart. This is the hopper heart to heart. I really think that he's following through with what Joyce is saying, but he has to be authoritarian because this is who he is. It's, it's his way of doing it. It is. And what's interesting is we don't get the conclusion of that conversation. He says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to drive you home. And I'm going to speak, and you're going to listen. And then maybe, maybe by the end of it, maybe if you're lucky, maybe I will continue to allow you to date my daughter. Not if you understand. And we don't get the conclusion of that. So I found that really interesting. I don't know if that was intentional or if that was just like we're meant to feel like, okay, he's established himself as the dominating force in the house. And now, you know, we're left with that. Yeah. And I think that was going to be an awkward drive home for Mike in that car with yes, <laughs> because he, he was not happy with Mike and the whole scene where he's like trying to get out of the car and not, like 
keeps unlocking oh, it gosh, and keeps locking so it. <laughs> and again, he's an intimidating presence uh, yeah. in real life. He's a he's a big guy, so mm-hmm. you don't want to mess with him. And I think yeah. Mike's kind of a scrawny young teen, so yeah, there's not. He's going to have to to listen or pr- potentially not be able to date his daughter anymore. And I think that's a key thing mm-hmm. here is we hear him say that we hear Hopper daughter, say yeah. daughter. And so clearly mm-hmm. in his mind, L is his adopted daughter. Now he thinks of her in the same way he thought of his daughter previously who, who passed away. Right. Yeah. Back on the Hill, Dustin is still trying to contact Susie. Lucas and Max uh, have some great banter here. Made me laugh when they were going back and forth with, with all their stuff. And then they all leave him, him being Dustin. And he's obviously disappointed. And I think what we're seeing here, Adam, is that a lot has happened in a month while he was gone. And he's clearly feeling a little bit of grief, remorse. I don't know what the right word is. He says, you know, welcome home as if he's no longer kind of part of what's happening here. So he's got a girlfriend like other folks in the, in the group do, you know, save will, but he obviously has not been a part of everything that's been going on the last month or so. And I kind of feel like that's going to play a part in the season going forward where he's going to feel isolated and he's going to kind of go on his own little adventure. Maybe he will, maybe he won't don't answer the question, but that's kind of one of the thoughts I had coming out of this first episode is how is Dustin changing as an individual? in right in this season and i and I, well, I really do wonder about yeah that. absolutely i feel like we're seeing to a certain extent like a like in fellowship of the ring like a fracturing of the fellowship you know we have everybody kind of going off and doing their own thing even will is like can we just get together tomorrow and play D like we used to like he's still hanging on as well to sort of the old mm-hmm. friendship that they had before girls and the rest of them all have girlfriends now so dustin yes He's been away, but he's also changed. He's the one that left. So he might be frustrated that everybody isn't kind of jumping to do what he wants to do as soon as he comes home. But he also is the only one that sort of disappeared and left everyone else. So it's it's testing their friendship. This group dynamic is being is being put to the test at this point. Yeah, if there's anything that stands out among the many things that we've already talked about, one of the things that additionally it stands out is the fact that things are changing yeah people are growing up priorities are shifting and that's not just with this fellowship here that's with other characters as well and folks are trying to establish themselves in new and different ways because we're getting older things are moving on Um, the the town's changing we have this starcourt mall that is now taken over and it's changing the dynamic of hawkins it's no longer the place you go with the fun downtown where you're eating your bologna sandwiches with your bow outside mm-hmm. the drugstore. It, there's a lot more stuff happening and think things are getting complicated. And I think that's kind of really summarized in Dustin's statement, welcome home and his reaction. It's like things are changing. I don't know how to deal with this. Right. So um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. And the scene ends with him picking up a signal, but it's not Susie. And right. uh, then we cut to the, the plant or the Russian version of Hawkins lab. 
and Russian code appears to be spoken over and over again, all these kind of like keywords and phrases, similar to the Belarus scientist when she was talking to that other lady on the phone in the episode of Chernobyl. Right. Speaking like, in uh, code. Yeah. Speaking in code. Right. So th- the establishment is that the Russian lab is still working a year later. But we don't see what's happening. So that's another interesting thing I pulled from this episode. We don't yes. see the progress that they've made. We don't see if the gate's been opened any wider, just a blue light. Now, again, I'm a dumb guy when it comes to remembering <laughs> stuff. So if I'm supposed to remember blue light equals X, I don't. So if I'm not, just don't say another word. No, no, I, go I don't it. think we're meant to know exactly at this point what they're witnessing. But that younger scientist who was uh, told that he had one year to accomplish whatever they're trying to accomplish. We kind of follow him through this bunker, whatever it is. And then another scientist says to him, it's beautiful. And I think whatever he's seeing clearly is beautiful, but we don't know what he's witnessing, what they're looking right. at at this point, which I think is interesting. So Absolutely. it's another another mystery, but it's, uh, you know, it's picking up that thread from the very beginning of the episode where we're obviously following a separate attempt by the Soviet Union to unlock the secrets of the Upside Down. And that could be the same things that we've seen previously, or it could be all new things for all we know, right? It could be... Sure. One would imagine that uh, that we're in a multiverse, so there could be many Upside Downs. I don't know. <laughs> we we need Cerebro, like the real one, yeah, to really kind exactly. of touch. <laughs> well, and that's an interesting point about Cerebro, is that Dustin does mention that he basically created or invented a type of like ham radio that can communicate anywhere in the world from pole to pole. I think he says that's why he needed to bring it up to a high elevation. And so I, that's a key element and why he's picking up this, this Russian radio signal because he's, and right. no one else is because he's sort of essentially amplified his ability to pick up signals from much farther distances know that right. that aren't not normal line of sight but that are from anywhere yeah i find it interesting that the episode could have ended here this would have been a great kind of yeah roll credits but we oh, get totally. two additional scenes we get the wheeler house and mrs wheeler's getting ready with uh, too much makeup but it's the 80s so again i'm gonna forgive her she gets ready to head out and then she sees her husband in his chair as he always is passed out with their daughter i'm not sure that she leaves she doesn't indicate with her face or anything that she is going to go. I think she feels a little bit of like, I need to stay, but we don't see one way or the other. Right. And we think it's going to get established, like if she does or not, with the next scene, which is Billy's car. And he is definitely excited about his rendezvous with Mrs. Wheeler. <laughs> He's rehearsing his lines in the rearview mirror. He gets swiped by something. I'm not sure what. He's pissed that his car won't start. Not that he's bleeding or is hurt, but he's like, dang it, I can't go have my fun with Mrs. Wheeler. Yeah. And probably his car is his most important possession, I would argue. And like you said, it kind of, whatever sideswiped him, kind of knocked him off the road. And he happens to be right by the uh, old steelworks. Mm hmm. He goes and Nancy Drew and starts investigating because he he sees this little like liquid like goo where right on his, his car windshield right yeah yeah Egon your mucus yeah <laughs> <laughs> so he hears something after he touches that slimy goo and goes exploring like a good explorer should 
no, you shouldn't do that, by the way. And he gets dragged into the factory by something. We don't see anything. This is, again, great cinematography. It's so dark and the cuts are so tight that we see him get dragged into the factory, uh, dragged down some stairs, never to be seen from again, or at least not for this episode. So as of the end of this episode, Adam, my theory about people with the first name that starts with a B is in effect, Billy has potentially died. I don't think he has, but (laughs) the fact is at this point, I'm going to cling to my theory. It's a very solid theory. I will just say that. (laughs) (laughs) Barb, Brenner, Billy. But see, Brenner's a last name. I think we talked about that, that Brenner's a last name. I think specifically Bob, Billy, Barb. Those are three that two of which we know are dead. Yeah, one a season. Yeah. So that'll do it for this episode of an original series. It's packed. I knew it was going to be long. That's fine. We had a lot to talk about, but it got us right into what I think is going to be another great season of this show. Adam, what do we have coming up next? Next, we have chapter two entitled The Mall Rat. The Mall Rat. Is that another question episode? Does it have a question? I I said it with a question, but... Oh, okay. You're going to be... (laughs) It's, I see what you did there. Well, I mean, you have a play on words here, right? Because there's the rats, right? There's the whole situation with the rats and Nancy Drew investigating the rats. The term mall rat, of course, like the movie, people that hang out in the mall don't have anything better to do. <laughs> so kind of a good title for an episode. And uh, once again, as this episode was, it is written and directed by the Duffer brothers themselves. I'm so, ready yeah. for Sean Levy. I'm ready yeah. for my Sean. Levy I think he comes, I think he comes in at episode three, if I remember correctly, as so, he should, as he yeah. has always done for the first. And two speaking seasons, of him I, in the end credits, speaking of Sean, I noticed that it co-starred this episode co-starred Sophie Levy as annoyed girl. So I'm wondering if that's someone, perhaps his daughter, a niece, somebody, <laughs> talk about nepo babies (laughs) yeah because you would think like an annoyed like if it's that generic of a name then she would have to have does she have to have lines does it if you're if you're if you're in the end credits of an episode on tv i believe you have to have lines to get a credit like if you're just an unspeaking part then you wouldn't normally get a credit at least on screen you might get an imdb credit but you wouldn't get a name on a card at the end of the film. Yeah. So she gotcha. definitely had lines, but, or a line at least, or a word. I, I just can't remember what, there were quite a few annoyed girls coming through. Yes. There uh, were. Scoops Ahoy. So it could be any one of them, <laughs> but I'm sure a short Google search could answer our question, but it's just something that I caught while watching the credits, which I don't usually do, but I kind of just thought, oh, I'll just watch to the end and, see if anything yeah. interesting pops up and there was a little extra bonus credit that said with sean astin he got his own little card Good soul card yeah so and it was smart to put it at the end because it was kind of a bit of a surprise that he was if you put it at the beginning then people are, what sean's back what you know so it's a way of you know not showing your hand but still giving credit where credit is due he played the drawing yeah. on the fridge that's how he <laughs> that's, <his> right. <laughs> that's right that's <laughs> right 
that's it, man. And then we'll uh, we'll move into episode two next, which is going to be exciting. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here.